Clay, I think that Harbinger, the episode that we're just about to talk about, is uh, maybe Travis Mayweather's most insulting episode because they teased us. They teased us with a little bit of prowess that all of his rock climbing and working out and everything like that is going to pay off in his uh, fisticuffs with the Mako. But then the Mako just unlocks uh, Super Saiyan level 11 or whatever and actually wins the fight <laughs> and it all comes down embarrassing again for him. He was he, Mayweather looked great. He had his nice cutoff Starfleet vest. Biceps are rippling. He's doing roundhouse kicks, backflips <laughs> over the guy. And then the Mako just uh, does the face to the ground move, which is unstoppable in Star Trek lore, I suppose. Yeah, apparently he they learned their fight techniques from Tekken 3, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that 3? Once the fighters moved into the three-dimensional realm instead of just a side-scrolling thing, that's where Mayweather fell off a little bit. He couldn't sweep the leg from that angle. Yeah, they had those really cool like uh, windmill kicks and stuff and yep. roundhouses in that game. It was a cool game. Pretty pretty. Um, I kind of like the... I'm, I'm not going to really talk about this in the episode itself, but I kind of like the fight choreography in this. I like the way they yeah, filmed that good. scene. It, it actually... It wasn't too bad, the uh, the sparring that they were doing with each other. It's, I want to give props to uh, the stunt coordinator who did all that because I thought I thought it came out pretty well, all things considered. In a sequence that could have been awful, I thought that that came out pretty good. Yeah, I think... Um Reed's hand positions when he's uh, in his fight stance are a little bit suspect because he was just kind of like holding them together like some sort of uh, little English Dracula. I got I got a lot to say um, about Reed, so we'll, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll save it for the main show. But let's uh, take a break. We're going to be talking about Harbinger, Harbinger of Sorrow, right after this. We'll take a break, play a clip from it, and then we'll come back and break it down. I'm Captain Archer. You had no right to bring me here. We were trying to save your life. I didn't ask for your help. Return me to my ship. Your vessel has minimal life support. You wouldn't last too long if we took you back. That's none of your concern. Harbinger is the 15th episode of the third season of Star Trek Enterprise. came out on February 11th, 2004. It is 16 out of 28 in the Zindi Crisis arc. Teleplay goes to Manny Cotto. Story credit goes to Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Directed by David Livingston. In-universe date is December 27th, 2153, just after Christmas. And Boxing Day for our uh, British listeners. In this episode, Enterprise rescues an alien from a massive spatial anomaly, but its lone pilot refuses to explain why he was there. Reed and Hayes confront each other over their roles on the ship. Harbinger. Uh, I think we have patron comments later, Clay, that are going to say that you as a longtime uh, un, unfan or a non-fan of uh, the story while the ship is traveling somewhere. You have, uh, you have a couple episodes of the ship traveling somewhere as they're trying to get to this red giant uh, planet or a star or mm-hmm. whatever to, to solve something. But... Harbinger is the first step in that process. What'd you think of this one? I actually really like this. I like this um, episode a lot. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to say, Brandon, uh, can we just send Manny Cotto straight to the top? Because <laughs> the man has the best interests of the show at heart, clearly. And I think he deserves everything that's coming to him. Promote this man to showrunner for season four. I was waiting for your joke about send him straight to the top because he shows us the bottom, which is... Uh, <laughs> I, um, I don't think... Did I, Sarah, did I pass out? Did I dream this episode? Because this uh, ticks all my boxes, if you know what I'm saying. I um, Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I don't... I don't think this is a great episode or anything, mm-hmm. but 
My big takeaway from this one is that I feel that this is almost what Enterprise was begging to be from the start, which is, I haven't realized it till now, but it's like a a WB-level melodrama. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And th- this one's like, it's cheesy. It's got a little bit of corny. I think that some of the plot lines are like outright silly in some ways, but... I think the melodrama and the overly emotional aspect of this actually work well in the context of being a prequel for this series. Like the the fighting and the fucking and everything that's going on is like <laughs> extremely high school and goofy and you don't think that trained adults in space would be acting this way or anything, but I think it reflects well on humanity before they get to like the TNG style of uh, culture and stuff like that. I just, I thought this was like weirdly soothing and easy to watch and also kind of fun while being silly and hammy and stupid at the same time. Mm. Yeah. You don't expect, um, you're not expecting adults to act this way. And thankfully they don't need some sort of space spore or something to right. get them to act that way. It's just like, this is how people in close proximity are going to act eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of elements that I, I wish they had done earlier. Like, I was kind of surprised it took them, what was this, episode 11 or something? This is 15 of the third season. 15? Wow. Yeah, I the stuff with the Makos, I, I feel like that story, I've been waiting for that storyline since episode one of season three. I would say that this is episode two because episode one is Reed right, going, right. God damn, this guy Hayes, I fucking hate him. And there was no follow up until 14 episodes later. Yeah, exactly. And it's not really like motivated by much except for the fact that they are guests are going somewhere. I don't know. Like the motivation for, for that fight is not, unless I am forgetting something, it's not really anything uh important it's all in their heads it's all in reed's head basically right reed reed comes across in this episode to me as completely unhinged in a psychopath yes yes yeah but uh but you know like that that storyline feels like it's really natural in episode two or episode three where he's being feels threatened by the makos and whatnot i think that it's a it's a natural progression of those characters being put in the same uh environment with each other that i'm shocked it took them this long to get to yeah and even the and the uh the stuff with to paul and trip i liked um i think they've i actually think they've been building to this fairly well um by not really leaning into it too much and even here when they kind of cross the threshold so to speak um it's it's still it's not just like a oh they're together now kind of thing it's like it's just another step forward in this weird kind of relationship that they're not really having but are also having kind of thing yeah yeah i i I will say the the one thing that i feel is out of place and it's a shame because i think if this were season two or something he would actually fit in really well i think angry archer is very out of place in this episode do, well, he, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I would agree, but I, I think that the whole Archer-Zindi storyline feels out of place compared to the rest of what's going on, and that's the problem. Like, j- sure, just, just sure. Before, before you give your thoughts, the Zindi storyline here is really interesting to me because I think we get the most information we've ever had in the Zindi storyline, and it's done in a fairly interesting way, and then you get this big reveal 
that something else is at play in the Zindi arc. Like there's some mm-hmm. there's some other species that's trying to pull strings to get things to happen. And mm-hmm. it's actually, to me, the least interesting arc in the story for sure. some reason, yeah, yeah. which is really weird. And Archer, I think, fits into that because it's just angry Archer being angry for no real reason. And I also don't think that the Archer does a lot of good detective work to solve the thing at the end when he shakes the guy and he's like, I know that you know right. what you're doing. I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't buy that he knew what that guy was doing. Yeah, no, that that stuff, yeah. I mean, even I understand that the idea is that this is, uh, he's supposed to be, that this alien guy is supposed to be the uh, um, herald of Galactus here. Yeah. But uh, but even still, it's like, it's a, it's a question that has no answer. It's just got a foreboding sort of uh, ellipses at the end of it. And Archer is just playing it the way he's played everything else this season, which feels like overwrought. Um, and when the rest of the show is, when the rest of the episode is, is kind of light or at least it's messier, let's put it that way. Yeah. It's like a mess, messier character stuff going on that kind of, uh, Scott Bakula trying to play angry captain just feels really out of place. I think there was one scene that I, that I liked where he was, the first scene with Flocks, where he's trying to get Flocks to like wake him up and stuff, I thought he was fairly convincing in that one. But oh, interesting! I, I think know. he's most convincing when he's chewing out Reed and Hayes at the end. Um, I thought yeah, that, that was fine. You thought it was okay? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I it, maybe it doesn't have the impact just because the Hayes and Reed thing is not really the lightness of that, the sort of goofiness of that storyline doesn't really lend itself to Archer being so pissed off at them right, in a way. Right. Like I understand why Archer should be pissed off, but I completely agree with you that Archer's overwrought anger about literally everything in these episodes is it undoes scenes like that, which is like those two fighting is goofy, you know? And so Archer being mm. so pissed off, while it makes sense in terms of the narrative doesn't really feel appropriate for him. And I, Maybe it's the same because I feel the same about when he's trying to tell Phlox to wake the guy up and he doesn't care if it kills him because he's got stuff he needs to know from him. It 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 just felt a little bit too much for me at all those mm. times. I think every Archer scene in this feels like it's a little bit too much for me. Yeah, and that scene where he chews them out comes at kind of a weird place too because it comes after the sequence. If I remember correctly, it comes after the sequence where the... The alien uh, goes and attacks the engine. Yeah, where, yeah. The, where the alien runs through the engine room. Because <clears throat> that feels like it would happen, normally that would happen before the alien running through the ship. And then them running, the alien running through the ship is what breaks that scene up. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because otherwise, otherwise, otherwise if, uh, if Archer was like, Flox tells me that you have intense lacerations on your faces what's that from i'd be like it was uh from the alien that ran right. through the ship trying to subdue the alien it was definitely not me punching his ass in the face um you know like it like it feels like it needs to be he gets in their faces about the because like they didn't their fight didn't cause anything bad to happen no no i feel like rescuing the alien kind of triggers their friendship there where i understand what you're saying which is that when archer confronts them they should kind of be aligned as a team at that point where they deceive archer into you know they work as a team to not be in as much trouble with archer at the end or if you're gonna place it there in the story i think whatever their 
problem with each other is has to directly cause something bad to happen. Right. Where you know what I mean? So like the, at that point he's like you guys got to get your shit together because you are in this stupid dick measuring contests and we almost lost the ship because you two couldn't work together which is you know it's the the lethal weapon kind of thing. Yeah. But they they they're like past that point at this point where they where they they get chewed out so it's just it's it's one of those things where I feel like you want to have that scene but like structurally it it makes more sense to go from them fighting directly into this action beat or whatever. You know, I, I can understand maybe why they why they chose to put it there. It's probably not the best place for it, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I I think that the this episode reminds me a lot of uh, Breaking the Ice in the first season, which is the Comet episode that we liked quite a bit. Sure, uh, because yeah. it's I, I guess my my push back to your thing about the sort of uh, the structure of those scenes mattering in the long term is that the reason we liked breaking the ice and I think the reason I like this one is because they're kind of they're like interestingly meandering in a way sure. that a lot of Enterprise episodes are not where a lot of Enterprise episodes episodes feel so rote and preconceived and structural that there's no time to just hang out here and I was really shocked by Watching this episode just makes me realize how little the crew hangs out with each other in right, a way. Yeah, yeah. And and it's nice to see them do it. I think you get insights into some characters. Like I wasn't even really kidding. Reed is basically a psychopath of a character on this show. He's completely unhinged. And his performance, the way that when Archer gives him the very mild news that this guy's gonna run some training things and he starts chewing his 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 jaw starts going like he's got an entire pack of big league chew in his mouth. And it's like, what is what is wrong with this guy? To the point of Hayes is is sort of nice to him and accommodating and he's just so pissed off about this imaginary threat to his job that things are gonna go down. Then they get into an incredible, incredibly homoerotic hot shots esque um, <laughs> top Gun fist fight with each other, and it, it's all just so he's such a crazy loon of a character. And then I think the the topper is when he's having dinner with uh, Trip after Trip has told him that he's been giving massages to every woman on board, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he gets he gets angry at everybody. He's angry at like to Paul. He's angry at Trip, and then they do the the stupid riff on the uh, the Pulp Fiction joke, mm-hmm. which Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. did a million times better. But he's so strange of a character and we've never had episodes show us how weird of a character Malcolm Reed is until this this point in time it's a it's a it's unfortunate that it takes this long to learn these much about these guys yeah it's almost like you get to know characters by watching their interactions with other characters on the show yeah I know it's it's this is a it's a again I don't think this episode is great but this is an extremely unusual one I guess you'd have to agree with that or would you say it's not that unusual I I think it's unusual for this show sure um I don't think it's un- I don't think it's an unusual episode of television let's put it that way sure, it's, I'd it, agree the, with that yeah the plots that it's dealing with are fairly routine uh you know you've got a semi love triangle thing going on and then you've also got the guy the the buddy uh buddy cop kind of thing going on it's not they're not reinventing the wheel here um but they are employing different types of stories that they have not done on this show because I don't know, because I'm not at this point, three seasons in, I'm not really sure what kind of show this wants to be. Yeah. 
Well, would you, you know, would you want this show to be my thing? What I was seeing, like a, a really WB. I know this was on UPN, but I, I associate UPN and WB. Remember that tone? They that are. WB's? They are actually the same channel. I think more or less. Did one buy or I, absorb the other one? I at some think point? WB turned into UPN. UPN. So because uh, I know that only because Buffy started on WB and ended on UPN. So okay. I think yeah. I think they kind of morphed into the other. Well, those networks had a real tone, like Seventh Heaven. Oh, definitely. What comes to mind, and Buffy sort of comes to mind, and uh, Mm -hmm. Enterprise was on there and stuff like that. But I think at this point in Enterprise, I'm really looking for any way that if I were called into this series at this point to how I would make this different from the other Trek series, where I think its, its main flaw now is that it's extremely redundant of other Trek series, and it's not really trying to do anything. I would just... I would have wholeheartedly embraced if I had seen this episode. Like, we have to wholeheartedly embrace this nonsense melodrama stuff. Like mm-hmm. this is the only mm-hmm. thing that I think really works well and is extremely unique for the series. And I think it actually works in the context of a prequel. Like this episode would seem horrible on TNG and it would seem cheesy on DS Nine. I think. I think it works in Enterprise. Would you, would you would you say that you'd want more of this tone or is this just something they have to space into the series? Do you think it would become overbearing after a while? Um, I think, I, I think this is a good way to go because especially, especially given the overall tone of this plot that they're dealing with is so dark, but they are not really giving into the darkness of it. They're still trying to, you know, have their, enterprise cake and eat it too so i think especially with something like this where it's like okay now they've got a destination they're going towards and it's going to take them three weeks or whatever to get there i think now is a good time to start leaning into this stuff where you get a little bit of cabin fever and stuff going on because like that that's i think that would be the most interesting part of this series from a prequel standpoint is like sure this is a starfleet ship but Nobody on Earth has ever been in space for this long, out this yeah. far. You know, yeah. shit's yeah. gonna happen. It's gonna be messy. It's gonna be weird. And I, I welcome that stuff mainly because, as we were saying, you get more character out of it. Like there's, there's just so much more interesting stuff going on when you've got these characters interacting with each other. To the point that we were like, yeah, this sci-fi plot, we don't really give a shit about the sci-fi <laughs> the, the plot. Main, the main backbone of the the season, too, about learning yeah, about this. Yeah, I want to know how the Mako girl feels about <laughs> T'Pol and Trip giving each other back massages. <laughs> I agree. I I would agree with that. I, that's probably a, it's probably a big I'm statement. I'm team on- Angela. What the hell's her name? That make out the female Cole, yeah. right? Make Mako Cole is all I know. I'm Team Cole right now. Trip, if T'Pol's going to shut you down and, and ice you like that, <laughs> Cole seems very nice. She seems to actually have an interest in you, and not just uh, be, because and 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 not and she seems to have more access to her feelings in a way that T'Pol doesn't because she's a Vulcan and yeah. you know has to repress that stuff. But I'm sure that's going to come up later. I'm just saying she seems very nice. You can do. I. I'm not going to say you can do better than T'Pol, but <laughs> you gotta. You gotta know. You gotta know when it's time. I mean, those FSU girls. I guess Trip would be familiar with. Um, <laughs> do do you, like I. I see a way of saying that this is actually another one of these weirdly insulting T'Pol episodes where 
they don't have her rubbing her breasts in Archer's face, right? Which is one level of embarrassing to Paul. But what they do have is a very junior high love story going on, right? And mm-hmm. I don't think this this story probably what's that what's that test that they do for female characters? Oh, the uh, the Bechdel test. Bechdel. This probably like what's the definition of that? You, it's two character, two female characters have a scene and they don't talk about a man. Is that that's? I think that's the definition of it. Yeah, it, you don't pass the Bechdel test if you've got. If you're if your female characters only talk about men when they talk to each other, right? And I think there's only the one scene that they interact and they talk about trip in that episode. Right. right so yeah, I don't think that test is the end all be all test of a literary uh, device or anything like that. But there is a childishness to this story that does seem somewhat insulting. However, I would argue that it's not particularly insulting to to Paul because. Everyone is under the micros- under the microscope of this tone in this episode. Like everyone mm-hmm. is kind of stupid in this, right? Right. So I don't think I don't find it targeting her really, and I also think that it saves it a bit. By the end, is kind of dark, where she turns it around on Trip out of a kind of animosity towards him. Like there's an anger about you made me feel bad because of the marine. I'm going to say that this was just a science experiment that I did with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And that I thought that was neat just because it's it's a definitely they play it kind of comedic, but it's definitely a dark interaction that those two have, or that's the sense that I got from it. Did you have any, anything different from that, or did you think it was more of a comedic uh little comedy beat at the end of the story? I don't know if I necessarily thought it was dark, but I did feel like it was the right move because I, I don't know if I if I consider this insulting to Tapal. Well, I don't know. It's a tough call because I think it's not insulting if you're taking into account the fact that she doesn't know how to handle these emotions Mm -hmm. that she's dealing with. Um, If that is the case, like, I don't know what her romantic history is on on Vulcan. Yeah, we actually don't know. They don't really get into it about whether or not this is a Vulcan. Maybe they will going forward, but they don't really get into what her main beef is beyond... Her sort of like that criticism I always have about her lack of Vulcan ship gets in the way because she feels emotions that I think a better Vulcan mm-hmm. would not be feeling, you know? Yeah, like I, I don't I don't mind her getting tripped up because she's jealous and she's, you know, not supposed to feel jealousy, but she does. That kind of like I I don't yep. I don't mind that stuff. I think that stuff works fine. And I do think I think it's a natural and good endpoint in this episode because she doesn't she clearly doesn't know how to handle what's going on so she has to fall back on the scientific leg of it right so to speak so like she's not they're not going to start holding hands and stuff and the only way she can figure out how to deal with it is to you know take a step back and and be like no this was just you know i was just doing uh, vulcan research yeah she's not going to show weakness to trip in the way that he is right. He's kind of putting his heart on his sleeve and she is not going to do that for yeah. him. And yeah. He, he also earlier in the episode slyly implies maybe they should have a three way. Yes. Which she <laughs> which she wisely shoots down. But can't blame a man for trying, I suppose. There's a lot of um euphemisms around that around the the Vulcan neuro like the show obviously knows that that's what they're kind of hinting at. They're always when they're doing it, they're like, let's change position. 
Reed is saying that this is so intimate. How about you won't, why won't you give a man a Vulcan neuropressure test or whatever? Um, if this show wanted to be taken seriously, Trip would give Malcolm the neuropressure and those two would fall in love. Right there in front of everybody, right over yes. those, those mashed potatoes or whatever the hell he was shoveling into his mouth. Yeah, I am. Um, the scene that I most liked because I thought it was kind of cute in a writing way was the uh, the one where the scene where they end in them having sex or at least you seeing to Paul's bare ass in the camera. Um, I thought that was fairly. They, that's co- another one where they should they should have they should have all things has, should have been equal and they should have made trip bare ass in that one too. <laughs> infinite. That's why you don't in- write for the show, Clay. <laughs> infinite asses and infinite combinations is the motto of the Vulcans. Um, yeah, I I like that scene on a writing standpoint. I like I thought that that was fairly clever in a way that a lot of Enterprise scenes aren't, mostly because they don't have time to do anything like that. But the way that she turns it around on him, where he he starts out with the upper hand of being like, "I'm accusing you of being jealous," and she uh, easily flips it around on him, and he's embarrassed, and then ends by going, "What the hell are we talking about at this point?" Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. thought that was cute. I, I like that stuff. I thought that that was well written scene. I also yeah, I also really liked how dry she was when she was talking about um having learned about his feelings by talking to his clone yeah and she's just saying (laughs) things so matter-of-factly and he's like "Uh uh-huh okay he goes so i guess i'm am i jealous of myself now he goes what the hell was he doing in your room which is the one i thought it was pretty funny yeah and it just being jealous of himself and i i I think it's kind of neat that you'll learn about Trip that Trip is open to his feelings. Like he he doesn't mm. hide how he's feeling when he realizes what he's feeling by being tricked into thinking about it because it's a Paul. He readily admits to it too, which is nice. And she's the opposite. In some ways, they have almost um, inverted gender stereotypes about how they're supposed to handle stuff like that, where sure. she, she plays the male role with the sort of... Um, closed off emotionality and trip is the more open and emotional one of the two yeah yeah it's a nice it's a nice dynamic i'm i'm so glad that they decided to go this route instead of um to paul and like archer yeah or something yeah. because i just don't well first of all i feel like he's considerably older than her yeah i mean he's looking. so angry he'd be slapping her around and stuff yeah. like that at this point yeah so he's got to take his anger out somehow and he is much older and more boring um but Trip is, yeah, he is such a a, a a much more interesting foil for T'Pol because he he always has been fairly open emotionally, um, and obviously it just makes sense to pair those two together the the one who's kind of open emotionally and the one who's very closed off emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just kind of circling back to Reed for a second. I was kind of hoping. When uh, I think T'Pol is talking about how how intense Reed can be, and he's like he he ate the same thing for dinner three times three meals every day the same food. I was hoping it would be two, three, four <laughs> pineapple pizza. <laughs> They're not going back that far. They're not going to go dig deep into the uh, the annals of what we know about Reed. I guess at this point, yeah, Reed, I. I don't have much else to say about that storyline. I agree with you that the the conflict is so ethereal and non-real that it, it if you think about it, it's kind of weird. It makes him seem even more insane than I think that he is. But I 
I generally just like the fact that they brought the Makos into it again and had them actually interact in a, with the crew in a way and do yeah. something. I don't think there's too much else out of that. And even I think the resolution is kind of pat. Like once they realize that there's a threat to the ship, they become united and our Archer yells at them and they say that it's over and they're going to be friends now and everything like that. So it was, it's a I weird, did, sorry. Sorry. I, I just want to say, I did really like the end of that scene when Archer leaves and then Reed goes, are we dismissed? Are we dismissed? We have to stand here. I don't think, um, <laughs> I don't think, I think that that's a weird story that if you poke around at it there's literally nothing holding it up there's no skeleton to yeah. that whatsoever yeah. but it's mm-hmm. it was just kind of fun and stupid and silly and i think that there is there's room for reed and there's room for that kind of personality on the ship and it's good that they had a chance to 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 take him out and spin his wheels a little bit yeah and i i, I think there could have been plenty holding it up but because i like i think you could argue um Hayes would have to be more sinister, I think. And, and that's well, I, I was going to say you could do this story in like episode two or three, but I think you could argue that this is the blow off for something that you've been building to for 15 episodes yes, yeah. every every now and then you kind of touch back on this. But it's not what they do. They just throw these two together out of the blue. And it's like it's it's a refreshing it's it, it works despite that there's no setup like a lot of the stuff in this works despite no setup like the T'Pol and trip stuff they've been building to for a while but like the girl comes out of nowhere yeah the, the, the girl comes makeup. out of nowhere it was a nice it was a nice twist though in that opening scene where they kind of pan up and it's a different woman it's yep. not T'Pol yep. yep um and i also like that he i i'm assuming he he he's not doing it right on her because of some subconscious thing or whatever. Oh, interesting. I just think Paul. he sucks at it. Yeah, I just <laughs> That's possible too. I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. It, it could be that he's just bad at it and to, I mean, maybe that comes out when T'Pol and uh uh Trip have their ine- inevitable blow-up argument. She's like, "And you were never even good at the, the at the pressure point thing. I was faking it the whole time." <laughs> and Flox is weird. Matchmaker continues to be there where he basically does the uh the the shaggy like caught her banging on the bathroom floor to DePaul <laughs> like you know she came in and uh, they've been doing Vulcan neuro pressure to each other I, I I'm aware of this what do you think about that oh well. do did they sleep together did Trip and Cole sleep together no I don't think I f- so there's no yeah, indication I feel that like that they, happened yeah I I couldn't tell if they were trying to be coy with it or not but it feels like it, it they were just sort of like uh, flirting with each other and she, had never she leaves got to that after the neuropressure scene together in the beginning right but i wasn't totally sure if maybe the implication because of how familiar they were in that in the training sequence is if like they had been spending time together since then. oh sure yeah i'm not i'm not i guess maybe a more adult show would have had to delve into that i, I didn't get that impression i thought we're i think yeah. we're pretty early it's like a it's again it's another junior high thing where he's just kind of talking to her and, and right, always right, overreacting right. to it yeah, yeah, I it's I think if Trip actively sleeps with somebody else, you, it's a little bit too adult for, for <laughs> they're what on a, going They were on a break. They were on a break. Um I like to Paul's to Paul's line you touched her she touched your bottom or whatever she says touched her behind. <laughs> um so before we sign off, let's just touch again on the Zindi storyline because it is so it is the backbone of the season, and we clearly in this episode think it's the least important part of this episode. Um, they find a little 
device in the middle of a bunch of anomalies colliding with each other that are all equidistant from five spheres. So this is like the the, the sphere. They seem to be implying that the spheres are creating the anomalies, which we know, but that they're also intentionally focusing their energy to do something and they're testing out whatever that thing is going to do with it. So mm. they send in this alien to test it to see what would happen. And the Enterprise finds him. Archer yells at him a little bit, and then the guy tries to blow up the Enterprise, and then he reveals at the end that he is from a species that has the that is trying to get the Zindi to destroy Earth because that is a win for them as a people. Um, sure. As I said, this is the most information we've gotten about the Zindi arc, I think, in an episode. Like the, the reveal that there's something else is kind of a big reveal. You'll learn more about the spheres. You'll learn that those religious zealots in the previous episode were actually right about something. They like they have a their faith is based in some kind of fact, or at least they understand some something that's going on. So it feels like it's big. Have we already talked about why we don't feel that it feels that way? Or do you think that there's something we missed here for why this feels like such a letdown, even though it's the most Zindi-esque? information dump we've had to this point we were begging for zindi information dumps um yeah i don't really know i think uh i think maybe because whatever this is is still pretty vague um it's also a uh (laughs) very long shot of a plan that i can't believe worked that they plugged this guy into this giant cluster of anomaly stuff specifically i am assuming he was put there for the purpose of, of the enterprises finding him. I don't so know. I, oh, I, I legitimately that, think he's there to test what it's like to live in that environment for whatever reason. Oh, so you don't, you don't think that him trying to destroy the enterprise was like part of the plan. Um, that's a good question. I think maybe it was part of the plan. I, cause if that was the plan, that's like a, uh, you know, Scott, bad guy in Skyfall level of coincidences need to happen. Yeah, I, I, I think that's off. the general problem with the plot of that story, or the like the 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 way that that plot shakes out. Everything that happens doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense to me about why it's right, happening. Like right. whether or not this guy is in on it from the beginning. If he's not in on it from the beginning, why does he suddenly decide to destroy the ship? You know what? And that doesn't make a lot of sense because they're trying to help him. Is right. Phlox dead at the end of this episode? I, that was that was intense. He got like <laughs> phantom phantom knifed through the neck or something. Neck I'm not sure but what the guy's, happened. The guy's also destroying computer systems as he's walking through them. So did he like just break his neck when he put his arm through him? Because yeah, it collapsed like he broke his neck. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that maybe it only works on computers. We'll have we'll have Phlox Sim next episode, I guess. Uh, but I think that's the problem with it. It's another, it's another Zindi arc that's. Um, it's not really clear what's going on. It feels it feels somewhat effective just because they're telling you that something's going on. And I do I like the ending about revealing that information, if, even if I think it's kind of cheesy that Archer figured it out somehow. Um, I think it's just. It's a lot of information, but at the same time, as you say, it's, it's vague, and it doesn't mm. really it's not novel in a way that's interesting compared to the rest of the episode, which is actually novel and how they're treating these character interactions with each other. This one just felt, um, I don't know. It felt flat to me. I was just surprised by that. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't have that mid season of 24 kind of, uh, stark step up thing 
where like, you know, the first half of 24, first, first half of the season, Jack Bauer's chasing this one guy and then he finally gets him at the halfway point and it's at that point that he realizes oh shit it's actually the president who's behind everything yes yes the head, it's the head of the my president. agency has been behind pulling the strings the entire time yeah. yeah it doesn't have that because like there thus far has been no resolution with the zindi nor has there been like a really satisfying anything yeah so much with the zindi so adding another sort of vague like larger thing well um, these are this guy's a this guy's a sphere builder right is, I, is that sure. what you take away from it i mean i don't know i didn't see his uh uh labor union card but <laughs> it's a it's a strong union it's hard to tell who's in it um i think he's one of i think he's i i have to assume he's a sphere builder that is um and this is sort of the there was some DS9 episode where they sent in what did they do? They sent in Listen, like a Vorta or something, and then the Vorta don't reveals. Say, I don't want you to say anything bad about Sphere Builders 101. Okay. <laughs> this felt to me like the that 205. DS9. The 205. Those guys are all assholes. It's a, it's an episode of the Irishman all of a sudden. Um I felt that this was like that DS9 episode where I think it was a Vorta came on before people knew what a Vorta was. And then when mm-hmm. it's revealed that they're a part of it at the end, it's supposed to be a realization that like you've been in contact with the Dominion at that point. Sure, sure. I think this guy is, I would have to guess this guy is supposed to be a Sphere Builder character. And yeah, probably, I have to assume yeah. that he's telling the truth that he doesn't come from real space he's from some trans-dimensional universe or something that he says so we, we learned that i guess i don't know if that i'm just sorry i'm just saying that to your point of you feel that in 24 they would have a mid-season flip i feel like this was supposed to be but they almost don't tell you enough information about it to get that point across yeah i think that's the problem is that like there's i, I don't think it needs to be like a hard hard flip but i feel like the main plot hasn't really justified this widening out of the circle even though they've kind of been i guess they've clearly been intending to do something because the spheres have been there for the whole season yes yeah there i i don't know it just feels like they're missing a step or maybe it's the fact that it is so vague still that uh it's not totally coalescing it's it's not making me go oh well i I, that's crazy yeah well i think there's a I think this ultimately comes back to the problem with the Zindi, right? If they're saying that there's another species that's playing the Zindis and humans against each other, when we come to terms with the Zindi, as I assume must happen, when we like work together to defeat this other group, I'm not going to feel that that was a very big flip because we don't know anything about the Zindi at this point, you know? Right, right. So yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Joining up with them is not really if this was like the Cardassians or something where you've seen examples of how horrible of a people they are in their private lives, it kind of means something to, to join forces with them like they do at the end of DS nine. And this doesn't have that. And I think that's, that's, it's a big problem. I think is that the Zindi continue to not really be a, a character or a species at all. Yeah. And I also, I, I almost wonder if this is sort of like a, is this going to be like a sidestep of the Zindi where it's like the Zindi isn't quite working, so we've uh, we got introduced break. Well, uh, yeah. Galactus into the mix? The, I, as you say, the spheres have been there from the beginning, so it feels a little bit protected from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I still i am not 100% convinced that it's working. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it. We'll take a break. 
we'll play a clip from the episode, which is Harbinger, and then we'll come back, we'll read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about Harbinger. It wasn't you, it was your clone, Sim told me. Sim? He said he had feelings for me. He told you that? Standing right there. What the hell was he doing in your room? Your voice is tensing up. Well, now you're the vocal expert. I don't need to be an expert to read you. I can't believe this. I'm... I'm jealous... of, of myself. You're jealous? No, absolutely not. Thank you very much for listening to the show today. Thank you for listening to our coverage of Harbinger. I just like saying that word. I always thought it was Harbringer, but it's Harbinger. The one who brings har. Brings some har. Brings it brings it har and <laughs> hardcore. Thank you very much for listening. I, I, uh, I once, when I was younger, I came across a movie at the video store called, it was a sequel to the, the 80s horror movie Warlock. It was called Warlock the Armageddon. Yep. And I, I kept... <laughs> referring to it as warlock the armagedon sure <laughs> to the point where my dad was like clay it's armageddon <laughs> you're saying it wrong you sound like an idiot if you're big into reggae you'd pronounce it uh armageddon i think would be the way that at least those are all well the right- our our Meg- our is my favorite yeah. subset of reggae music he's my favorite godzilla villain um <laughs> thank you for supporting us if you want to support the never show. seen sean paul and armageddon at uh <laughs> Hempfest. Patreon.com slash the Penske file is the place to go to support us. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff like extra podcasts. We're going to be covering, I think it's Battlestar this month is what we're covering, Ooh, the miniseries. Cool. So if you're Finally. excited about that, we'll do parts one and two of the miniseries on Patreon this month. Um, it's probably actually already out by the time that this episode comes out, but you get one and two of those. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff on the Patreon. There's like 100 podcasts now. If you sign up and support us, we'll get there. And uh, I think that's it. We dip, we we dripped uh, dripped. We dropped below the Voyager goal, Clay. Recently, oh I think no! It might it might change, but this is the the kind of walking the tightrope that you people are playing with. Oh uh, yeah! By, by dropping off, this we'll is see. more exciting than than GameStop. It really is. This is there's a there's a reference that's already old. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is GameStop mixed with a deal or no deal. Just two of the pinnacles of uh, the last couple of years of culture. Anyway, patreon.com slash defense capel. Captain Tier Supporters. Does that show does that show exist anymore? Deal or no deal? No, I don't think so. If it does, it's in that, in that fear phase of uh, yeah. who wants to be a millionaire where they have weird hosts oh, on yeah. it all the time. Since the syndicated version where it's like Katie Couric's understudy is yeah, sister in law or yeah. something is, is on there. Deal or no deal was one of the worst game shows I've ever seen. Um I remember watching it thinking like this is uh, people watch this i well game shows went into this weird thing where they moved away from actually being games to being how can we amplify emotional excitement for as long as possible sure while someone yeah. makes a decision to do something and well, i hate that well what's what's interesting about it actually is i uh that was that show really came into prominence i think when we were in college yes and I had a, uh, a, a a media class that I was taking where we had a we talked we were talking about game shows. I think we watched quiz show and we talked about all that kind of stuff. And the teacher broke down game shows in a way that I had never considered before. Um, and when I saw Deal or No Deal, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the like synthesis, like just the straining down purest version of what he was talking about," which is that on game shows. People don't care about the game. Mm-hmm. 
they care about the money. Sure. It's the money on the line and the possibility of winning or losing the money, which is the thing that drives the tension. It's not whether or not you know the capital of Syria or whatever. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. And so deal or no deal just strips everything else away and is a game that is literally about whether or not your next choice gives you money or takes your money away. Yes. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a huge hit. Yeah, Maybe I'm in the minority then because I really like the game shows that are game based. Um, oh sure, I mean like those are obviously more fun, but it's the 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 tension is 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 uh, is the is the money. Yeah, is the point. You know, the, I, the fingers I, mean the money, as they say. Cause I, a show that reminded me of that was um, I think I think I think I'm remembering this right. The first show that really struck me is that's what they were doing. Was like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Sure, yeah. Where they must ask like three questions over the course of a half hour in that game, but the most of it is just like people acting unbelieved, like in disbelief that they don't know something like as simple as Mm -hmm. that. It just it just seems so hokey, and uh, you're just sitting there going like, can you guys ask another question just so I can see what's what's happening in this game? But anyway. You can have our Patreon uh, podcast about game shows and our favorite game shows available on patreon.com slash well, You know, I think I think that kind of it kind of shows you the game shows that don't have that that don't focus in on those stakes are usually the ones that don't last very long. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the ones where it's like aside from aside from like dating shows, people seem to love dating shows. But, yes, yeah. Um but yeah, the game shows that are overly complex and are about the are more about the game than they are about the money. I don't think uh, make the impact, except for whose line is it anyway? Where nothing is real and the points don't matter. <laughs> Everybody loves that show. <laughs> I'd agree with you. Special thank you to our patrons, uh, the captain tier patrons: Tark Latif, Samuel Custer, Joint Mango, Kyle Barat, Mike Burnett, Andrew Cherlog, Matthew, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Matthew Cutler, Christian Pouch. That's uh, B A. R apostrophe H. Yes. B A apostrophe R A H T with a, all caps on the second one. Uh, Christian, <laughs> Christian Pouch, Nick Sergey, Cardinal Doomsday, Grim Santo, Sean, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Vault 13 Hero, Jordan Cooper, Darth Mosk, Russell Elledge, HH28, Stefan Minton, Derek Zajak, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Point Extra G, Johnny Franceschi, Captain Brazen, Eric Antoine, uh, JK's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Corey Martin, Nick the Rat, William Scheisler, Rayhan Jaffer, Garoppolo John Zorn, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Dave Davies, Retail, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunters, EWNF Remixes, Patrick Seba, Captain Munchaz, and Bell, Beal, I think it's Beal, Beal, James McLennan, Jonas Loki, Matt Houston, and Tuvix Must Die, and Olivier Pardieu. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We much what appreciate is, it. Um, what is also unfortunate about us recording this far out is uh, we can't really talk about and have anybody know what we're talking about how <laughs> we kind of got into a fight with a dave davies of the kinks fan account on twitter <laughs> no i i've given i've given a hard time to what seems like a very sweet person who runs a, a dave yeah, davies yeah. fan club on twitter yeah yeah no i mean we it was just it was it wasn't a fight but it was just funny they were very very adamant that the dave davies who subscribes to our patreon was not in fact dave davies from the kinks and we have yet to see any proof that what they what they believe is true no i need i need proof i'm I'm not going to willing to take this random person on twitter's word that this is not celebrity dave davies supporting us for ten dollars a month on patreon i don't believe it he seems to be a huge star trek fan so (laughs) that's right it was all sparked by a 
Tark showing us that Dave Davies was tweeting about Star Trek. So we'll say it's a mystery. It's like the spheres of this season of Enterprise. Could you imagine how we'd be doing in that Patreon if we got the Davies bump? If you like, <laughs> if you retweeted us, <laughs> the, if the just by not even retweeting, if just by the the fan club Twitter interacting with us will attract thousands of <laughs> thousands of people. All right, that's it. Thank you very much for supporting us on Patreon. Let's move on to patron thoughts. There's only a couple for this episode, which I thought was interesting. First one says, or Matthew Ross says, Harbinger, just in case you don't remember the Zindi, here's a two-minute recap ending with a sexy massage. I w- we didn't mention this. This previously on is the weirdest previously on I've ever it seen was, of any show. It was, it was like the show had a stroke. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> usually, you know, usually you can kind of guess what the episode's going to be about or like what the things are going to be, what elements are going to pop up based on these things. I had no fucking clue. It was bringing up everything. Was be up. It yeah. was bringing up literally everything that's happened. I laughed when they it, it actually connected, but I was like, why are they bringing up Sim in this? Like, yes, there's yes. no reason to bring him up. And it actually did come in. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, let's get to Paul. Or is that Brandon? I think it means Brandon. Brandon, let's get to Paul and the mate go naked and oiled and they just pawn for it up and oh, trip and, and trip can join in. Interesting that to Paul's outfit with the Mako covers every last crevice while she's holding her boobs for trip or just being naked. As to Reed and Hayes' interdepartmental rivalry, we see this dick wagging in other military shows, but Archer chewing them out continues his angry, though here justifiably turn. Justifiable turn. Oh, and the alien guy is in the blob and he can walk through walls. Hell of a long way to hurt the Enterprise. Three sexy times out of five. Did you think that I was expecting in the scene where T'Pol was doing the pressure point stuff on Cole, I was expecting Cole to play it a little bit more like she was hoping to get out of there because clearly she's not there for the pressure point right, like she, therapy. She, yeah, T'Pol is sort of ordering her there, but she doesn't want to go because it's awkward, you mean? Yeah, or or, or just like the reason that she was doing this in the first place with Trip was so she could spend time with Trip, right. not because yeah. she actually wanted him to do this pressure point garbage. Sure, yeah, I was a little surprised that the Mako was not picking up on what T'Pol was putting down. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would have thought that that there was tension there that wasn't utilized or something. But it, I don't know. It did make me think, though, the fact that she was playing it fairly straight. Maybe she did just want help with her back. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, the the trip stuff is a byproduct, but like maybe she's actually going back to DePaul because DePaul's doing it right and it's actually helping her back out. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the, uh, just we're walking into dangerously close into like 90s lesbian uh, leaving a man territory, I think, where she's like, you know, DePaul <laughs> just massages my third vertebra in a way that trip never could. Kyle Barat says, I remember back in the TNG days when Clay would complain about storylines that happened on the way to something more interesting. So I hope he's prepared for four episodes charting the journey to Azadi Prime. Considering it basically just shoves a bunch of disparate stories together, Harbinger is surprisingly great because it focuses on character. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of Tripp and T'Pol's relationship, and Malcolm's conflict with Hayes hasn't been mentioned since the premiere, the episode nails the often humorous interactions between the characters better than ever before. It's a shame that when Mayweather... It's a, it's a shame then that when that Mayweather's biggest role all season is getting beaten up, but the fight scenes are enjoyably brutal with a few campy 2S moves mixed in. And though Reed is fighting Hayes, what he actually wants to do is tickle his belly button from the inside. Four slaps on the arse <laughs> out of five. Jesus. I did, um, um, they, they, I mean, their fight, their scenes with each other, because there's so little actual plot driving those two to hate each other, it does feel like they're just going to start making out after they fight for a little bit, you know? Again, if this was a braver show, they would have done that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 
I do, Why are you I picking do kinda, on me, Reed? Why won't you let me love you? I do. I do kind of wish that they had just done the beat where uh, uh, Mayweather ends up sparring with a dude and just totally wrecks him, and everyone was like, "Holy shit!" This, why does this guy fly the ship? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do anybody else know he could do that? Um, <laughs> Mayweather, and also, Mayweather adopts his military name, which is Balthazar Edison at that point, or Edison Balthazar, <laughs> or whatever. Um. I, I, in response to, to the criticism of that I had in the TNG, TNG episodes, I look forward to more of these episodes because the thing they're going towards doesn't really interest me that much. Sure. The stuff they're doing on the ship is, is a lot more interesting. And I think this show in its serialized nature earns that. Whereas on TNG, it was always just a plot device. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. <clears throat> Next comment is. Cardinal Doomsday says, I call this the green episode because everyone is jealous of everyone else. There's this tiny little Zindi plot with this very sunburned Suleban looking creature, which is sadly overwhelmed by T'Pol getting jealous of Trip and the female Mako, who we will never see again after this episode. Oh, interesting. That's a bummer. Malcolm wanting to know if Trip and T'Pol are getting it on. And even stupider, Malcolm thinking Hayes is trying to steal his position as defense chief. I laughed aloud when Archer tells Hayes and Reed to stop acting like five-year-olds, given he was willing to destroy a population for making his dog sick. Two detached retinas out of five. Seriously, if this was if this was Star Trek Discovery, they would at least have the balls to to do those two storylines where it's Trip and T'Pol kind of doing whatever, and Reed and Hayes, and the two that end up having sex are Reed and Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> Alate, I would give it a standing ovation if they did that. A latte librarian says, Harbinger, this episode is T'Pol character assassination by the writers. Star Trek often doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Oh, here we go. But this is more annoying than usual since they have made, could have made so many other more interesting choices. Two out of five. Would, uh, you, would you say this is character assassination of T'Pol? No, I think we touched on this incidentally yeah. before. I... I don't think that they're targeting her for stupidity because I feel the whole plot is stupid. I think that's my defense. Mm-hmm. Like the, sure. it's it's stupid in a childish, juvenile way, you know. Which I think that they're holding trip to. I think they're holding the female Mako to it. So, to Paul is acting in character of how this plot is supposed to work, and you can argue that it's juvenile and you don't like it, but I feel it's almost intentionally done that way. It's supposed to feel that way. And so I, I don't hold it against her. I don't think Paul acts out of character or anything. Yeah. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm not giving her enough credit, but I do like the idea of a Vulcan, like a younger Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah. Who maybe doesn't have the same handle on things that a Spock does or, or a, uh, I wish uh, they had verbalized that more. I wish that was more of her character because they don't really play it that way. But I, I would agree with you that especially in a prequel series, I think a young Vulcan learning how to gain control over her emotions would be a solid character to have on this prequel series. A young Vulcan trying to learn to control her emotions and completely failing at it by falling in love with one of her (laughs) roommates. Maybe, maybe, maybe when you put it that way, not the most empowering story for a female Vulcan character. That's, but that's the movie Star Trek Eleven that we're, we've been, we've all been waiting for. Um, let's see. I think that's it. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't find it too troubling for T'Pol. I guess I've. There have been worse episodes for T'Pol. I would say. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. 
Royo says, Harbinger, the Enterprise faces off against some kind of interdimensional alien who can walk through walls and ignores energy weapons. When the alien sticks his hand in an antimatter reactor, the security chief and the Mako soldier conclude that they should mess with the reactor controls to reverse the polarity of the plasma coils to cause a feedback pulse. Why does the security <laughs> chief and Mako know how to operate a warp core, and why does a feedback cult pulse affect this alien when it's immune to physical attacks and energy weapons? The very next episode will draw attention to the fact that the ship's doctor isn't qualified to operate a warp core and shouldn't even be touching the control without four years of Starfleet training. At least Archer is finally making some sense in this episode when he chews out Reed and Hayes, being angry when it's appropriate to be angry and displaying actual leadership skills. 2.5 out of 5. You the, must be a blast apart. <laughs> my, my, my counter to the, the plot idiocy is not really a counter, but none of that, it's what we said earlier, none of that plot makes sense. None of these Zindi sure, alien plot right. makes sense. So him sticking his hand in the oven and getting burnt when they turned the heat up a little bit more didn't bother me too much. I did laugh when yeah. I did laugh when they CGI'd him getting like shot out of it and he lands on the ground. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I think that's the last comment, actually. Yeah, there's only six. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about Harbinger. Patreon.com slash the if you want to leave your thoughts and comments about upcoming episodes. Become a patron. It's the best way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Clay, when are you going to give this one? It's I'm sensing you. I'm sensing you might go high on this. Is there any reason or any way that I should talk you down? What do you What do you actually think? What are you going to give this one? I think I'm going to give this one a four. Yeah. I yeah. Was, like yeah. I, it's I honestly, it's the most enjoyable episode for me I've watched all season, <laughs> <laughs> and like I can't discount that. Like it's, it, it does feel like they're they're going to the. Uh, um, the well of of sitcom tropes for it but it's like it's just giving it this in, this boost in a way that i feel like the show really needs of like let these characters do something yeah let them engage with each other let them you know t- tell a story with these this stuff that you've put on the table here um it's like it's like spending three hours Given all your GI Joe's weapons, and then deciding that you don't want to play anymore, you know, it's yeah. like, let them let them play. Yeah, I'd agree. I I feel my rating is impacted here because I kind of want to reward this episode at the end of the season. Like I want to remember mm. it, and I feel that the score is the only way to do it. My argument against being a four would be that it feels to me it's a four that is the context of knowing what the series is. Because if I showed this to sure, someone, I sure. think they would go, what the hell is this? Episode? This is bizarre. Like, what a strange episode of Star Trek this is. That's my only problem. And I do think it has flaws in it in some ways. But I do feel... I'm going to give it a strong three, which doesn't really mean anything in our rating system. But I, I do <laughs> think it's a really good indication of what I think the show should have been doing from the start in some mm-hmm. ways, which is again, just melodrama WB type storylines like this, I think are actually kind of fun in this series. And it gives it a really unique attitude compared to the other Star Treks at this point where humanity is juvenile at this point, And these stories are kind of silly and it's a lot of junior high love stories going on. But I think that just thematically matches what this prequel series is supposed to be. So I'll give it a three, but I respect your four. And um, I think it's an episode worth remembering going forward. So hopefully we do. Yeah, it's. I, I do think this one is. It's definitely a context dependent for for me. Where it's like, would I say this is in the top twenty 
episodes of Star Trek you need to see before you do No, I yeah. would not. But yeah. it's but for this show and this season specifically, I think this is one of the more enjoyable episodes. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. I, I, I think the four is a good call. I'll give it a three, though, just to balance this out. And um, But I would recommend people watch this one or... Um, I wish that the show could have. Hope, I don't know what the show does, but I would. I would hope that the show goes more in this direction. It is written by Manny Cotto, um, who becomes the showrunner in season four. So we'll see. But anyway, that's it. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. I give it a three. Harbinger a three. Clay gives it a four. You can support the show at Patreon.com/slash The Penske File if you're so inclined. All the other shows are continuing. Clay, you have anything you want to say? Uh, I think probably Invisible Man will be out from Rotten Horror Picture Show at this point. Yeah, and you'll have another badass too, I think, actually. Yep, we'll have the second episode. The, our our order this year, for this season for badass is a little bit weird because the DVD order does not match the production order or something. I can't exactly remember, but we, we're going off the um the way that they're listed on Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, which is I don't, whatever that's just the way we're doing it yeah yeah um and th- that'll be uh cold comfort and never fear the return of scarecrow scarecrow now voiced by uh jeffrey combs yes yeah yeah got a got a big got a big makeover for season four um <clears throat> and we've got uh the next rotten horror picture show will be audition the japanese horror movie which oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about talking about fantastic movie. What's that ranked and, at? Uh, off it, the top of my head, I don't know, but I feel like it's fairly high. Fairly high, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and this month, being June, we are doing Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives on our Patreon coverage of the Friday the Thirteenth series. Yep. Yep. Whole bunch of stuff on Patreon. Battlestar Galactica, Friday the Thirteenth, Part Six. Audition is number one sixty four. It's actually lower. That's low. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember being disturbed by it. Um, yeah, great movie. Yeah, so you guys can listen to that on Rotten Horror. And now they have a little tag, so I can easily say you can go to the PenskeFile dot com slash Rotten Horror, or you can go to the PenskeFile dot com slash Badass for those two podcasts. And uh, that's it. Cool. Guys, thank you very much for listening. The next episode in Star Trek, I think, is Hatchery is the next episode. No, Doctor's Orders is the next episode. So, the Flocks one. We'll be back in a week with Doctor's Orders. See ya.